This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Series 1, Episode 5 of the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. So you want to tie flies. Continuing on my topics of what I discuss with my clients during private lessons, this one is about tying flies. What I'm going to talk about in this podcast is first, fly tying resources. I'll give you a whole bunch of fly tying analogies, some background information on tying flies, why people like myself enjoy tying flies, and things you need to become a fly tire. Resources will include books, magazines, catalogs, online video demonstrations, online step-by-step tutorials, seminar demonstrations, and fly tying shows. Be sure to check my website, robsnowwhite.com. That's Snow White with one W, and yes, that is my real last name. I will have examples, links, information, and more if you'd like to see some of these examples online. My first analogy is tying flies is like cooking. If you can make a sandwich, you can tie a fly. There are a lot of analogies to cooking in this podcast. Kitchen tools are analogous to fly tying tools. In the kitchen, you need a chef knife, a whisk, a cutting board, a spatula, peeler, ice cream scoop, carving knife, bread knife, boning knife, butter knife, and a myriad of other tools that you may or may not need at the time, but are good to have just in case. If you skimp on your tools and ingredients and get crappy products, you're going to get crappy results. Flies have specific recipes just as food that can be adjusted based on your skill, your materials, and your needs. If you're going to be cooking, you get to know your local provider, the farmer's market. If you're going to be tying flies, you should get to know your local provider, your fly shops. Search out and buy the best ingredients. 
Not all packets of materials contain the same quality of materials. You should be familiar and comfortable with inspecting the materials because if you're paying $125 for a certain hen cape, you want to make sure that it meets your standards, doesn't have any sort of bug chews on it, that each plume and hackle piece are the exact size and quality and quantity that you want. If the shop doesn't have what you need, I'm sure they can custom order it for you. Support your local fly shops. Let's talk some more about flies. Specifically, there are some flies that are made for display purposes only. You're going to put them in a shadow box or display them on the wall. They are not meant to be fished. Then there are the ones that are meant to be fished. Those are more of the ones that I'm going to focus on. I'll talk about why we tie flies, how you can be creative in tying your flies, why tying flies is problem solving in your own personal experiences, the economic reasons, well, you can make money for it or you can save money, and tying flies is fun. I enjoy tying flies. So tying flies is both a time and economic investment. You need to know animal anatomy, just like you need to know cow anatomy, where steaks come from, when you're buying a particular cut. Different feathers and fur from different body parts have different qualities. Different companies make different products. You might favor one chenille from a company versus a different. One company might make a certain olive-colored marabou that you prefer versus the other brand. So seek out the different brands and find the ones you like and stick with them. Additionally, some materials have different names for the same material by different manufacturers. Start with a few basic materials to tie some basic flies. It's like stocking your pantry. And then you can start off with some basic recipes. San Juan worm, glow bug egg, woolly bugger, clouser minnow, hair's ear. Find out if you enjoy what you're doing and want to invest more time and money into tying flies. If you don't like it, well, either now you're stuck with a whole bunch of tying material or you can find someone else to give it to, but uh, I think you'll enjoy it. And if you're not gonna enjoy it, well, you can listen anyway. There's a culinary term that I learned first from Anthony Bourdain in one of his books. It's called mise en place, M-I-S-E-N-P-L-A-C-E. -E. Now forgive me if my French accent isn't that good. I haven't spoken French in about 30 years. So I learned that from Anthony Bourdain, and the term refers to being organized in the location where you're working. In cooking, you wanna have your garlic chopped, your celery chopped, your onions chopped, your broth warm on a burner, salt, pepper, knives, spoons, forks, all the ingredients laid out ready to go within an arm's distance. So you can cook without having to waste time going to gather other ingredients or having to prep while you're cooking. You should know where everything is when you're tying flies. It will save you time and make your flies more efficient and your time more efficient because you're not wasting it walking around saying, ooh, I need to get some hackle, I need to get pliers, I need to get scissors, where are the bead heads, where's my chenille, the dog just ate something. Make sure you know where it all is, have it all laid out in front of you, it should be within an arm's reach on your fly tying table. Organization is going to be key in your fly tying success. So what do you need to tie flies? Well, that tying area for mise en place. You should have tools, thread, hooks, beads and cones, eyes, and body material. Those be natural and synthetic. Your tying area should be a desk or table. I'm using right now about a four by two foot table I got at Staples. It's got a bright color top so I can see things against the background. And it's got plenty of room for me to lay everything out. You need your area to be well lit. 
being able to see the flies is going to help you and save your eyes from being strained. Remembering back to my podcast on flies, flies are going to be tied indoors under ultraviolet light or lamps, and the color is not going to be the same to the person tying the flies as they are to the fish. Artificial light versus natural light. So maybe you want to tie next to a bright window where you can get daylight. You need to have good back support because you're going to be sitting there for a while and most likely leaning forward. Have a good trash receptacle, somewhere where all the materials you're using are going to fall into. Some vices have a little basket attached where things can get cut and dropped right into. Some people use a paper bag from the grocery store. I use an old plastic tub. I can cut materials. It just falls down right into the bucket. It's a bin. It's like $1.50 at the container store. And also make sure that you're not trashing your area. Have a magnet nearby. Pick up any hooks that could be in the carpet. You're going to spill things like glues and epoxies and basically just make a mess. So make sure your table is not like the kitchen table or the dining room table because you will put some wear and tear on it. So again, be organized while tying or you will lose stuff and slow down your tying. If you think there's a theme here to being organized, that's pretty much it. Container store, I just mentioned it. Great place for containers that, well, that's what it's called. They sell them. You can get little pull-out drawers. Um, I keep mine separated by the material, synthetics versus naturals. They're in my closet. I have wood chips in them, cedar wood. It keeps the moths away. I also have all sorts of little Plano tackle boxes from Walmart and the Dollar Store, Michaels, and AC More Craft Store. Any little things where you can store materials with a clear top and get easy access, that's going to be good. These bins or containers, however you choose, should be airtight. Got to watch out for dermestid beetles, which are small beetles. They will get in and eat things. They also eat clothing, wool sweaters. They're going to get into your fly tie material and eat them. They're also used by museums if they need to clean off some kind of a carcass with still meat and stuff on it. Put in a container with dermestid beetles, they will give you a clean skeleton. You can get moth larvae in there. Moisture is another thing. Maybe you want to put silica packets. And pets. I once watched a friend's dog, which ate about 10 of my bucktails. I came downstairs and it looked like a clown had thrown up with all the different colors spread everywhere. You can also use storage bags, Ziploc bags. I mentioned before cedar. It's a good material to keep moths away. There's resin inside the actual cedar plant that is, uh, it's not liked by moths. And then moth balls, um, the chemical naphthalene, you can use it. It's going to make everything smell. If you're a particular um, fondness of having your flies not smell, thinking that the fish can smell all the molecules on them, you're not going to want to use mothballs. They smell more than cedar. The tools you're going to need. All right, here's a list. You're going to need a vise. I prefer a C-clamp over a pedestal. C-clamp attaches to your desk. A ballpoint pen for tying knots. A bobbin. A bodkin. Bright light. A butane lighter, a fine-tooth comb, a fly rotator, hackle pliers, hair stacker, magnets, a pencil eraser, pliers, razor blade, scissors, tweezers, a vacuum, and a whip finisher. All right, now I'm going to break each one down and tell you what they are and why you need them. The vise is the tool that holds the hook in place. It's going to have a large jaw on it, which when clamped shut, will hold that fly tight. Vices vary from inexpensive $19 for a starter kit up to several hundred. Depending on how much bells and whistles it has, is it going to hold 
itty bitty hook size 30s and hold giant three odd hooks how does it rotate a rotary vise is something that you can hold the material still in your hand and rotate the actual vise so your hook is rotating saving your hand from having to go around the hook some vices will have lamps attached to them some will have tools for holding materials such as your bobbin and hackle pliers in place some will have magnifying glasses there's all sorts of bells and whistles i keep mine basic regal c-clamp vice the best jaws out there all the other bells and whistles i've got hands they evolved i can do things and manipulate hooks and materials i don't really need anything spinning been using it for five years now and i have not gone back to the three other brands that are in my fly tying closet a ballpoint pen what you can do is use that tip of that to wrap around your hook and make a half hitch and tie off the thread at the head a bobbin is going to be like your 10 inch chef's blade it is the one tool you will use the most it holds thread in place and allows you to wrap thread around the hook a bodkin is a sharp needle and that can be used to apply lacquer or head cement or used to pick out knots a bright light as mentioned earlier it's going to help your eyes from being strained butane lighter you might need a burn melt or singe material a fine comb for running through natural and synthetic material to get the materials to stand up be it hair or feathers or little uh, polyfibers a fly rotator is basically a chunk of foam on a battery operated rotator self-explanatory it goes in a circle and allows flies to dry if they have a paint or other kind of tacky material on them if you let a wet fly hook stand with epoxy glue or paint it's going to drip down if you have the fly rotating it's going to move slow enough in a circle that that material will dry evenly hackle pliers are small pliers used to hold feathers where your fingers can't get they have very tiny little tips on them and they are already tight you don't have to hold like the handle down to keep the feather in place a hair stacker is a little it looks like a shotgun shell you put hair in it you smack it against the table and it's going to make all the hairs at one end line up evenly a magnet for holding flies in place for picking up flies on the floor my roommates in college were always upset they'd walk around with hooks stuck in their white tube socks all day they complained to me i told them just to wear shoes pencil eraser larry coburn once taught me how to Take a pencil eraser and rub the parts off of a peacock feather and you can make little midges out of it. And if you don't know who Larry is, look up his book, Fly Fishing, uh, Catch and Release Waters of Maryland with Charlie Gelso. Pliers are good to have. Not only are they helping you out if your hands are not that nimble to pick up a small beater hook, use them to smash down barbs, smash your barbs down ahead of time so you don't have to do it when you get to the stream. And in the case you forget, you don't have to get a 4x streamer hook pulled out of your arm on july 4th while you're on vacation razor blades are good for cutting old material off of hooks if you want to get to an expensive bead or cone head on a hook maybe the material didn't come out the way you liked it you want to start over or if you're tying a fly that needs to be trimmed precisely such as deer hair for a cocktail fast bug you can trim it down with that tweezers can be more precise than your pliers scissors are a must you should have a variety of scissors again back to say your 10 inch chef's blade you need a pair of minute scissors will get you into small places around the eye of the hook when you tie off and cut your thread it can get little extra hairs you also want to have some big sharp scissors so you can do that one swipe and getting a glow bug tied 
and a variety of other shapes, sizes, and make sure your scissors are sharp. You don't want to cook with a dull knife. You don't want to tie flies with dull scissors. A vacuum is good. Have that around to clean things up. My dog loves, loves, loves marabou. He will play with a piece of marabou for hours. If I don't vacuum them up, he will come looking for them in my fly tying room. And last but not least, there's a whip finisher. It's a tool used to knot the thread when you are done tying your fly. There are two types. There's the Thompson whip finisher. I have two. I have no idea how to use them. They are sort of just in my material storage bins and then the regular circular whip finisher. Um, hey, you know what? Larry Coburn taught me how to use that one. It's a Larry Coburn filled day. All right, that's it for tools. Next up is thread. Thread comes in a variety of sizes, variety of colors and materials. Sizes are gonna be like hooks, inversely proportional. Threads will start off at about 10 knot, very thin, easily broken, used for tying small, delicate flies. Eight knot, a little bit thicker, a little less hard to break. You can get six knot, which is about the standard. Everyone's gonna be using that mostly. Three knot, a little bit stronger. And then after that, you can get into Kevlar's, G's, a variety of other ones that are more specifically named to the manufacturer that are for bass bugs and saltwater flies that you're gonna be putting a lot of tension on that are not gonna break. Variety of colors, you think of it, there should be a color out there, there's a myriad of them. And we're using fly tying specific threads. These are not just the ones you go to pick up at Michaels or AC Moore. They're more designed with that tensile breaking strength. Some of them have different diameters based on the bobbin they're gonna go on. Threads also come in a variety of materials based on their needs and uses. You can have braided thread, which is gonna be several pieces braided into one to make it a little bit stronger. Flat waxed, which is a thread with wax impregnated into it. It helps your flies float. It also helps stick materials to it while you're tying. Kevlar thread, extremely strong. Mono, which is basically a thin tippet spooled onto a fine little spool that can tie clear heads on your flies. Some of the more traditional old-fashioned materials will be nylon and silk. Those will be used in your traditional Scottish salmon patterns and some of the display patterns that I mentioned earlier. All right, let's talk about hooks. Hook size name is inversely proportional. As the size of the hook increases, the hook name decreases. The hook anatomy consists of the eye, where you tie your tippet on, the shank, which is the straight part, the bend at the end of the shank, the barb, if it's present, and a point. Some hooks are straight, some are curved, some are longer than others with a number X. Your hooks can be designed for dry flies, lighter, they're gonna float, wet flies, heavier to sink, specific nymph hooks, caddis shrimp and scud hooks, salmon hooks, which are gonna be extremely strong and hold the weight of a salmon, egg hooks, big-eyed hooks, if you have trouble tying your tippet on, circle hooks, saltwater hooks, and then there's tube flies. Tube flies don't have a hook built on. They're tied onto a tube such as IV tubing or another type of soft plastic. You put your mono through them and at the end you'll tie in a hook. I prefer a gamakatsu circle hook at the end of my hollow stemmed tube flies. I find the gamakatsus to be extremely sharp and durable. They cost a little bit more, but they are worth it. Remember, if you're buying cheap hooks, they're gonna bend, they're gonna rust, they might break. The quality of the ingredients you put into your flies is the quality you'll get out at the end. Next up are beads and cones. The purpose of beads and cones is to add anatomical dimensions like heads. They sink your fly and they attract fish. 
These will be located just behind the eye of the hook. They can be made out of glass or plastic and a variety of metals which will sink based on their densities. The diameter needs to fit on your hook. You don't want to put a bead that will slide over the eye and fall off. Eyes are put on again by the eye of the hook to add anatomical dimensions and to sink your fly. They will also attract fish. Predators key in on eyes because they know that is where the head and brain and other organs are on the fish, that if you attack and injure that, the fish will likely die, which is why several organisms, fish included, have eye spots on their tails to confuse a predator into attacking its tail. So if you put eyes on a fly, such as a minnow pattern, a clouser, the predatory fish that you're going for, bluefish, striper, large trout, smallmouth, is going to go for that part and hopefully be closer towards the hook and not the tail of your fly. Bead chains are another great material for eyes. You cut them into two little barbells and you tie them on in that little pedestal between the two eyes. Now those can be from dog tags, necklaces, keychains, Venetian blinds, luggage tags on a briefcase. You can find them in a variety of sizes, colors, and some are faceted or have angles on them which refract and reflect more light. You can use melted monofilament for eyes. You can use googly eyes and you can use doll eyes. There are a variety of eye patterns out there for you to attach, find ones you like, and see what works for you. So far I've talked about some background information, back to the analogy of tying flies is like cooking. I've told you some tools used and different names and styles of hooks and threads. Now we have to say what those hooks are used as a base for and how the thread is going to attach and what it's going to attach. So body materials, I'll break them down into two categories, natural and synthetic. Some can be a blend of both and I'll get to those later. Natural materials are body parts from a variety of animals, namely mammals and birds. You're going to use their fur, hair, feathers, and some of these will be attached to skin. Some body parts like a bird's head, a rabbit's mask, a deer's tail, a squirrel tail, a baby cow's tail, etc. The color is more, well, it's natural. It looks like what's found in the environment. Squirrels have a natural blending and background color. So a squirrel tail nymph is going to look like it belongs in the water. Sometimes natural materials are less durable. They can break. They can sink faster. They are definitely more delicate and they have different storage requirements. Being in your fly boxes where they can be wet and rot faster and back earlier as I mentioned in your bins where they can be eaten by organisms. I'm going to read a little blurb from nature-notes.org Feather Anatomy and Function. Feathers are unique to birds. They're a defining characteristic of the group. Meaning simply that if an animal has feathers then it's a bird. Feathers serve many functions in birds, but most notably is the critical role feathers play in enabling birds to fly. Unlike feathers, flight is not a characteristic restricted to birds. Bats fly with great agility, and insects fluttered through the air several million years before birds joined them. But feathers have enabled birds to refine flight to an art form, matched by no other organisms alive today. In addition to helping to enable flight, feathers also provide protection from the elements, Feathers provide birds with waterproofing and insulation, and even block harmful ultraviolet rays from reaching birds' skin. Feathers are made up of keratin, an insoluble protein that is also found in mammalian nail and 
hares. Let's talk about birds. We use chickens and roosters, marabou, schlappen, different tails and hackles, quills. A marabou is that part from a turkey or chicken's butt. It falls apart when wet and undulates and can be dyed a variety of colors. Schlappen is going to be a long feather from the back. It is called webby in its properties. You can use different types of rooster and chicken tails. The hackle are going to be the fibers coming off of the stem. And if you strip all the hackle off the stem, you're left with a quill. Quills should be soaked in water to loosen them before you start wrapping them tightly around your hook. From ducks, you're going to use mallard flanks and wings, wood ducks, and something called the canard, which are oily little feathers from a duck's bum. The oil keeps it waterproof. Emu is a large bird similar to an ostrich or a rhea. They have large plumes. Those plumes can be used as little webby materials. I think I mentioned them before in Helgramite gills. Goose, the little feathers from their head are called biots. You can break those off. They're little pointed pieces. They make great stonefly legs and tails. The jungle cock is sort of the feather of all feathers and fly tying. It's, I believe, a Southeast Asian bird that lived in the jungles. And the feathers have a distinct yellow, white, and black marking that looks like an eye. So we call them jungle cock eyes. And these birds were pretty much hunted for fly tying materials. And now it's pretty much illegal, correct me if I'm wrong, to have wild jungle cocks, if there are any. So you're going to get them farm raised from bird farmers and use them for fly tying. They can be up to $5 a single feather. So you want to inspect those carefully when you're purchasing them. Partridges have a material called soft hackle used for delicate little swimming legs on nymphs. Peacock, remember, that's the male of the bird. A peahen is the female. Have a great variety of iridescent feathers known as hurl and eyes and stems and plumes. And I'd say peacock hurl is probably the most insect buggy-like looking of the natural fly tying materials. It makes flies like flashback pheasant tails, zug bugs, myriad of others look extremely real underwater. From pheasants, you can have golden ringneck pheasants. We utilize them for their tails in a pheasant tail nymph. And some of the neck feathers and golden pheasants have the crown on top of their head and some orange and black coming off the back. Starlings introduced to America. Some guy wanted to have all the birds from Shakespeare living in Central Park. So he went about getting the birds mentioned in Shakespeare's books. He brought over like 50 starlings, released them into Central Park in New York, and now that's why they live everywhere. They have itty-bitty little iridescent feathers. Uh, I've only seen the actual skin of a starling in one fly shop. That was St. Pete's in Fort Collins. Turkeys have flats and wings and tails. You can use them for all sorts of great light brownish colored patterns. Very useful on the backs of stonefly patterns. You might want to spray them down with an adhesive first so the actual fibers do not come undone. Let's talk mammal hair and fur. So we're done with birds. Let's move on. The first mammals are going to be the bovids. Cows, sheep, goats, antelope, yak. So in cows, you're going to use baby cow tails. You can find them in a variety of natural colors and a variety of synthetically dyed colors. Yellow, chartreuse, purple, green, orange, pink, etc. They're great for tying posts on dry flies so you can see the color from a distance and for little clouds or minnows. Referencing my fly tying podcast, I mentioned a light Cahill pattern and the material required the fuzz from a ram's scrotums. 
So rams, bighorn sheep can be used. Goat, angora goat specifically, has lots of little fibers. Now traditionally you could tie a salmon pattern of just a chunk of goat tied to your end of your line. And the salmon would attack it and their teeth would get caught up and snarled and snagged up in the fibers. Antelope, you can have a variety of antelopes. Sheep, ox, and yak all have long flowing hair and you can use those for huge streamer patterns. Camels, well, if you've ever seen somebody in a camel sport coat, that material can be ground up into individual fibers, wrapped around a piece of thread and wrapped onto your hook. You can get those in natural and synthetics. Fox hair can be used in a variety of methods. You can tie little clouser minnows with the tail, and I also mentioned in a previous podcast, the urine stained hair of a vixen was required to tie a specific pattern of fly. I wanna prevent having to repeat myself with all these different mammal hairs. Uh, you can buy them individually, shredded in packets, that's gonna be known as dubbing, or you can buy them whole attached to the leather, skin, or rawhide, however you wanna to refer to it. They can all come in their natural colors or in a variety of synthetically dyed colors. Okay, let's move on. Beavers, beavers live in water. They're gonna have a waterproofy hide. That material will be waterproof. Next up are cervids, moose, deer, and elk. Hollow, long hair fibers. Those are gonna float because they're hollow. They're great for tying individual hairs on the tail fibers of a mayfly. You can wrap them over your hook and make a beetle. You can pack them tightly together and make a bass bug. You're gonna use the tails a lot for their long fibers to make the clouds or minnow. Muskrats also live in water. They're gonna have waterproof type material. Possums, it's gonna be a white kind of strange because possums are strange, um, sinuous fiber. Rabbits and hares, again, you can have great dubbing material that's gonna be prickly and stick out. And that's gonna be your hares or your nymph. You can buy that single as dubbing or you can buy the mask of a rabbit or the foot of a rabbit. We used to tell kids in the shop that those rabbit masks, which is basically just the skin face of a rabbit, would fall off the rabbits about twice annually and the farmers would go around the farm and pick them up. I prefer rabbit strips. If the strip or hide is cut with the hair parallel to the cut, that's known as a zonker strip. If the hair is vertical coming off of the leather, it's known as cross cut. These have great undulating movements and patterns in the water and they suck up water because rabbits don't have waterproof hair and skin. So they're gonna sink. You can have minks and weasels, the Mustelidae family. They're Mustelids, which is a stinky name. They're going to secrete an oily secretion, duh, and it's going to help lubricate and waterproof some of the materials. And last but not least are your squirrels. We like squirrels because not only do they have natural colors, they're abundant and, wait for it, you can get their tails for free on the side of the road. Wait for squirrels in the fall, to start crossing the streets looking for nuts to cache and store for the winter. And if you have one that's not too pancaked and bloodied, you can cut the tail off, stick that tail in borax and salt, let it dry out the tail meat, and you can have your own free fly tie material. Now, once the organism is dead and cold, any mites, insects, parasites on it are gonna leave it to find a new host. So you don't really have to worry too much about your material being brought home and infecting and infesting everything else. You might want to put that in the freezer to kill it. And it's a good idea if you get materials from fly shops 
and the internet that you don't really know where they came from, put them in the freezer, they will kill any larvae. Here's a list of synthetic material, ready? Okay, you have chenille, which is long strands of material. They can be natural looking material or they can be prickly synthetic mylar. You can buy them at the craft store in bulk. You can buy them in your fly shop by the three foot piece. Why you can't get these chenilles in bulk at the craft store, I don't know why. I would be so happy if I could get a hundred foot strand of black peacock chenille or estaz for $3.99, like I can with the chenille used for women's knitting into scarves and stuff. Craft fur is what they make teddy bears out of. Great synthetic material for tying bonefish and streamer patterns. Dubbing. So we, before we had ground up squirrel hair, ground up rabbit hair, muskrat, whatever. You can also have synthetic materials that are going to be in the little Ziploc bags. They come in a variety of colors, shapes, sizes which all can be waterproof and hold little bubbles on them when they're underwater, make them look a little more natural. Egg yarn and egg foam. These materials that you wanna tie, that's one of the easiest things to tie. Three strands on the hook, wrap your thread around it tightly, one fast move with the scissors, boom, you've got an egg. Epoxy, you can pick that up at your fly shop, craft store, Home Depot. Two different materials, when you mix them together, they go from liquid to a solid and can make your flies quite durable. They will hold up to your bat casts hitting road signs, telephone poles, street lights, cars, dock pilings, and they will hold up to fish teeth biting them. You can have all sorts of different flash materials, stuff that hangs on Christmas trees, mylars and tinsels, different types of foam from one millimeter to two to other craft foam that can be cut and shaped in a variety of sizes, colors, and patterns which is pretty much one of my favorites. So far we said rabbit hair and foam, my two favorite things to tie with. Glitter, you can have glitter impregnated into your epoxies, nail polish, or you can sprinkle it on them for them to stick and be impregnated into the fly body. Lacquer or head cement or Sally's hard as nails would be what you use to put a dollop on at the end of your fly when you cut the thread so it doesn't come undone. People can use latex gloves to make the backs of some crustaceans. You wanna have magic markers to color your fly patterns. Make sure that they are a brand that's not going to come off in water. There's a variety of colors at the craft store. I think Prism is the one. You can put little dots, little colorations all over your crab patterns for salt water, your bait fish patterns for fresh and salt. Go crazy. You have different types of metals, beads, chains, and wires. Some can be in large spools that you cut off. Some can be on little spools that will fit on a bobbin. You can wrap those around to make your midges and caddis fly patterns. And they also help your fly sink. If you have a lead or non-lead, preferably, wire, wrap it around your shank before you put down the body material, and that'll help your fly sink. Plastic bags. There was recently an article by Scott Sanchez, I believe, about using part of the Ziploc bag to make caddis wings. Rubber cement can be painted onto your fly to make it bendable and durable at the same time. Rubber legs, another favorite of mine. Rubber legs can be tied on, knotted, all sorts of different ways to impart action into your flies. They come in a variety of shapes from round to flat, all sorts of solid colors, reticulated patterns, and you can get pretty much any color of the rainbow. 
Stick on eyes, I mentioned those earlier, wire, yarns. If you can walk through a craft store and get inspired, you're on the right track. If you walk through your fly shop and see the raw ingredients, like you walk through a supermarket and you see a tomato, pepper, onion, you think, hey, I can make tomato sauce for dinner. Well, you might see a chenille, a piece of rabbit strip, bead chains, rubber legs, and think, I can make a crazy looking bait fish pattern. Flies are like sandwiches, you just have to change them, they get new names. Take a plain old woolly bugger or a cheeseburger, add bacon to it, you can get a rubber legged woolly bugger. Be creative. Think of a fly vise with a bear hook on it as your canvas. You can create whatever you want and fish will eat it. Some of the smallest fish, some of the largest fish I've caught. I've been caught on the stupidest, ugliest, simplest looking patterns. Be creative. If it works, keep tying it. Let's talk about the process now of tying flies. If you're using beads or cones, you're going to slide that on first through the point around the bend down the shank to the eye. You can place the hook in the vise to secure it. You can attach your thread. You want to put the thread parallel to the hook and then start wrapping over that and make it nice and secure. If you're nervous at first, put a little dollop of your lacquer or head cement down. Tying flies generally from the bend up. So you're going to start with the materials at the bend and work your way forward to behind the eye. Not too close to the eye. If you're too close to the eye, you're going to make a mess with your knot and you're not going to be able to find the eye when you go to tie your tippet on. Three to four solid wraps should be all you need to secure any piece of material. Now your mise en place comes into place and at the end of this podcast, I'm going to tie a fly step by step and explain where items are laid out in front of me, what I'm using, and how the organization is key to my fly tying. When you're done tying your fly, you're going to knot it off, cut the thread, anything left that needs to be trimmed, go ahead and trim off extra fibers, little strands of hair. Make sure everything's in place. If you need to lacquer it, Head cement, do it now. If not, take your fly, stick it in a piece of foam, start tying your next fly. You should know the flies by names, Orvis, LLB in the fly shop, Charlie's Fly Box, all have different patterns, some unique to that store, some unique to the tires that work for them. And hopefully you can find the recipe of that fly on their website. For materials, Orvis, Umqua, the fly shop, Urban Angler, and craft stores. If you're not getting inspired walking through those craft stores, man, I don't know. Fly Times is not for you. Tutorials, I would go with midcurrent.com and Lauren Williams' Fly Guy website. I will have links to these on my website. So to summarize this podcast before I tie my fly, I started talking off about fly tying resources, where to get the information that you need to know what you're doing, in addition to my podcast. I gave a bunch of fly tying analogies. Well, basically one, fly tying is like cooking. If you can make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you can make a Klaus or minnow. Three or four ingredients, you put them in a certain order, boom, you're done. I talked about some background information on what you need to know if you decide to tie flies. I spoke of why people tie flies, because it's fun. You might do it because you're solving a problem, a fly specific to your area that you want to recreate. Maybe you want to make money out of it. You want to be a commercial fly tire. And maybe it's more economical for you to tie San Juan worms than for you to buy them. And then I finished off with the myriad of materials and some of their names and what they're used for. So that's fly tying in a nutshell. I hope you enjoyed it. Maybe this is or is not for you. Maybe you just want to dive into it. 
If you have any questions or comments, please contact me at my website, robsnowwhite.com. Yes, that's my real last name, and it's Snow White with one W. If you want to support the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast, please visit dragonflyfishing.com by a beer can lander. Up next, I'm going to walk you through the steps of tying a woolly bugger.